1: Welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we review weird and wonderful science digitised into your ears. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Alex Ripsom explains the social implications of algorithmic bias. And from the booths, we check out Soul Machine's Digital Brain. But first up, here's the news of 2019 in review. (music) 2019 Headlines! Here's a look back at the 2019 headlines with the occasional explanation. 3D printed steaks. One drug to treat many causes of ageing. Angiotensin, the blood pressure drug, is found to treat many other causes of ageing. From weight gain to Alzheimer's. Is the sun about to cool the earth? The Little Ice Age and how the sun won't cool the earth more than it already has. Hack attack! Australian Parliament and the Liberal National Party computer networks were broken into by foreign spies. Surveillance stolen! The surveillance data collected by the Liberal National Party was stolen in last week's hack attack. Political parties are allowed to spy on Australian citizens even when the government is not. Gravitational wave generators? Faster than light drives? Unlimited energy. Three mad science inventions patented by a physicist for the US Navy. Obesity can be infectious. One form of obesity is caused by a contagious cold virus. Electric cars are the new NBN. The Liberal National Party of Australia lied about electric car technology for the federal election, just like they did with the National Broadband Network. A hand with feeling. A prosthetic hand with a sense of touch. Incriminating handshakes. How DNA transferred by handshakes can move the DNA of innocent people to contaminate crime scenes. Yet another ME-CFS test. A new blood test to diagnose myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome. AlcoSynth. Professor David Nutt in the UK has designed a new drinkable drug that has all of the pleasure of alcohol, but none of the harmful side effects. Smart dust has shrunk. Microscopic robots can move and sense and network. Climate disaster. Vasopressin for autism. Peer review by Twitter. Biologists use Twitter to peer review a paper about The babies in China who were genetically engineered to be immune to AIDS. Journalism is not a crime. How award winning journalist Julian Assange is being held without charge in a British maximum security prison while being tortured to death, illegally denied access to his lawyers to prepare his case, while awaiting extradition to the US on charges of embarrassing the American government. CSIRO's dirty little secret. How Australia's peak scientific body is pushing dirty hydrogen from coal as if it's clean hydrogen from solar, wind and water. Radiation, whoopsie. People were badly injured in the Lucas Heights Nuclear Research Facility due to a leak of highly radioactive material. War on science. The Australian government wants to approve or disapprove of all scientific research before it's published and after it's published. Nuclear waste dump. The Australian government wants to build a nuclear waste dump on native tidal land. In a highly illegal way. Huge radioactive explosions in Russia. Radioactive patients. The survivors of the huge radioactive explosions in Russia were taken to a hospital where they contaminate the staff and the hospital because nobody was told what was going on. Singing fish. Invisible In water. A new technology makes structures that don't reflect water waves and so can't be detected easily. Small nuclear, small modular nuclear power and its many problems. 5G hurricanes, 5G cellular towers interfere with weather satellites' imaging of water vapour and therefore predictions of extreme weather, or in fact, any weather. Nanotechnology fights obesity. Baby teeth worth more. Stem cells from baby teeth are now used to grow new teeth. Nobels for lithium batteries and exoplanets. Quantum batteries? Financial abuse for everybody. The Indu cashless debit card is now being used to privatise Australia's social security with a private company making up rules about what poor people can and can't buy and who from. Colder to a hotter. A clever system cheats at thermodynamics to cool an object by using its own heat to power a heat pump. Invisibility genius. The invisible man of Canada has invented a system of invisibility using the same kind of lenticular lenses that have been used in 3D trading cards and Halloween posters. And that was the news I reported in 2019. Stay tuned for the new news of 2020. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. What is the cultural impact of new technologies? Alex Ripsom is a philosopher of technology and a cultural analyst. Her PhD research at the University of Amsterdam is into the societal and cultural impacts of new technologies. But at the moment, she's taking a break from that to do research at the Singularity University in California into algorithmic bias and its impact on society. I began by asking Alex, what is algorithmic bias?
0: Algorithmic bias is... Something that occurs when we're using data. When we use data in in digital environments, we use it to represent something about the real world. And in the way that we choose to represent those things, we have to make decisions of translation, of how we represent the real world into bits and technology. And because the decisions that we make when it comes to how we represent things technologically are made by humans, they often, they they always reflect the cultural situatedness of the humans who've made that decision. This is what we call bias in general. And when it comes to algorithms, what happens in if we have automated decision-making, which is where a lot of algorithms are being used, let's say they reflect the biases of the makers of the algorithm or of the makers of the data set or of the makers of the problem that needs to be solved or whatever. There's many, many directions and there's many ways in which biases can be represented in our decision-making algorithms and some of them are sensible and some of them are more problematic.
1: So it's a little bit like when you ask survey questions, which questions you ask and the way you frame them can entirely skew what sort of data you collect.
0: It is exactly like that. That is exactly what it is, yes.
1: And these algorithms are being used more and more in high-level decision-making.
0: That is correct, yes. And that is exactly why we should be having a conversation about algorithmic bias today and yesterday and last year. And that's one of the problems, I think, that the ubiquity of the use of algorithms is something that means that we have to address the issues that occur when we don't treat our algorithms as biased. And I think that in and of itself is another problem, is that culturally the way that we think about algorithms, the way that we think think about data science and the way we think about statistics is that it often is lent this aura of objectivity and truth, whereas because of the systems that are in place between, let's say, the human decision-making and the outcome is quite obscure, is quite opaque, and therefore it can actually obscure all the human biases that go into that process. And so that's the other thing that I think we need to address is is the characteristics of truth and objectivity that we lend to these kinds of decision-making systems.
1: There's such a lack of transparency, especially when there's commercial algorithms at play i've heard of american judges using algorithms to decide on sentencing or parole and they don't know what the algorithm is and they're not allowed to ask because it's a commercial secret
0: yes there's two big problems one of them is transparency transparency is huge and and feeds into misunderstanding and feeds into again this this outsourcing of decision making problems to processes that we don't understand Transparency is a big thing, and not one that is currently has an easy way of being solved, especially because of a lot of algorithms being in commercial use, where there's trade secrets. So dealing with the transparency is one thing that should be on the agenda, the other thing should be that we need to address the weight that we give to results that are data-driven, that are given to us by algorithms. And so, if we do those both of those things in conjunction with one another, we both address the, the need for transparency and we address the outsourcing of very important decision making like courtroom judges, but also health insurance and uh, loan and um, credit scores, etc. Those, I'd say, are the two biggest problems.
1: So, we seem to have a situation where people really trust. A result that comes off a computer or they want you to trust it so either they'll say you know look the computer says you owe this much money and so therefore it can't be questioned or people will read a result and go well that must be
2: right
0: yes that's right yes I think that's a that's a very very big problem that we have currently where the more opaque and the more unclear these systems are the more trust we seem to lend them which is actually counterintuitive Right, we seem to trust in a process that we don't understand more than a process that we do understand because we're actually capable of saying, "Well, you've made some assumptions down the road," whereas if are saying, "Well, we have this algorithm and it spit this out," and it's like, "Oh, well, that probably is true. I don't know. I don't understand." So that's something that we need to be very wary of.
1: In Australia, we've got robo debt, where the social security has an algorithm and they match tax information with the information you've given them, and in this case, it's it's almost like it's a deliberately wrong algorithm. The algorithm can't possibly get the right information because they're comparing a yearly information with two weekly information, so it'll never match up. So how do we deal with deliberately wrong algorithms?
0: Well, I mean, if we're talking about deliberately wrong algorithms that are being used at that kind of scale, I'd say that's that borders on the criminal. <laughs> I think... This is something that legislation and jurisdiction can catch up to, is that there is a way in which the use of algorithms actually facilitates what's called masking. So that you actually, with nefarious intent or with malignant intent, write an algorithm that adheres to whatever prejudices you have, and you do that in a way that it isn't obvious afterwards. So, so that's when you're actually a baddie, like you're actually doing a villain thing, Which is obviously criminal, right? That's uh, Because that's racist, ageist, sexist, ableist, whatever you want to call it, which is, I believe in Australia too, a crime. (laughs) So that sounds relatively straightforward in how we should deal with that, which is just punish them because that's not allowed. Yeah, when it comes to the unintentional consequences of some of the technologies that we use, the legislation is obviously less direct, right? And we, we need some checks and boundaries on how we deal with that, but also how we hold people accountable. Transparency is one of them that I think is very important.
1: And a lot of the time, these algorithms, well, they can just be very simple if they were explained, but they're treated like they're too complex.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that is true. I think it's also a sign of the times, right? Like, if we're being honest... Most of what we call algorithms is just automated statistics, right? So we can use all the critiques and the tools we've used in the 90s and thereafter and before that, that we use to critique the, let's say, the more problematic parts of statistics and just apply those to... It's just that it goes much faster and it's used on a much bigger scale... And so all the problems we had then with with statistics still persist today, and very much should be exposed to the same kinds of critique.
1: So, do you think we need to educate the public on a more fundamental level about statistics and algorithms?
0: Yes, uh, yes, yes. I think we need to educate the public about the about the technologies that are occurring around them and that did like that dictate parts of their lives, and either empower or disenfranchise them to do certain things with their lives or to not do certain things with their lives. More importantly, we need to empower legislation and jurisdiction to be able to act on when these things go awry. It's not a sexy answer to say, like, we need regulation, but we need regulation
1: and for the people who are creating the technology how do they go about uncovering the biases and trying to eliminate them
0: so one of the things we do is we run a workshop on algorithmic bias where we have participants and you know students come in and they program an algorithm themselves and then it shows them and then we spend time with them to to show here's some of the biases and where they may have occurred and they, we let them self-discover where that's occurred. I think one, if you're talking to, I mean the the statisticians and technicians that I work with are obviously hyper aware on this because we're working on this, but I believe interdisciplinary education that shows both sides of what goes on in this industry is very important but also to maybe let go of the the naive idea of the existence of a bias-free anything, right? We'd love to think of ourselves as being gender-blind and age-blind and whatever, but we're not. And believing that we are can actually lead to a lot of adverse effects. And so, if anything, we need to educate ourselves also on just being okay, recognizing these are the biases that I'm optimizing for and this is what I don't want to be optimizing for, and being very conscious about that. That requires a bit of self-reflection and that requires a bit of interdisciplinary education.
1: I've read recently about some image recognition systems that seem to be doing pretty well, but when people of colour were there, they were getting all sorts of racial slurs, which the creators didn't expect. So that seems a big thing to miss.
0: Right, that's an example of what you would call unrepresentative data. So... There's many ways, but let's say there's two ways in which bias can can go into your algorithm or in your algorithmic systems at the level of the data. So you can have biased data, which is what we had, uh, what occurred when Amazon had a hiring algorithm that they deployed. And because of their previous hiring tendencies, which was mainly they only hired men, like they hired way more men than they did and so the training data was biased towards men and therefore the algorithm that resulted from that was biased towards men the other option if you will is unrepresentative data which is what happened with a lot of facial recognition software actually is they trained these facial recognition software algorithms on white faces way more than they did on not white non-white faces and so therefore the algorithm really only recognized white faces and was trained on other things, like the things that the people in this question like were called and recognized them as such because of unrepresentative data. So it's not necessarily a bias of the programmers that made its way into the algorithm, but it's the bias of the programmers that made its way into the data set because they failed to consider the diversity in faces and therefore failed to consider to introduce enough variation into their data set. I think while there is a lot of doom and gloom and there's a lot of bad things that are happening in this space I equally believe there is a unique opportunity when it comes to data and algorithms and the current state of the industry that because of drop price points in technology that deals with data and sensors that can pick up data, is there is an opportunity for an increase in representation, right, which we've seen now, we're seeing all the adverse effects of the lack of representation, but because there is ever more data and there is ever more ways to capture data, we are actually at a time where we might be able to introduce more representation because of that, which will eventually lead to a better representation in technology. So there is, there is some silver lining to all of this in that we have an opportunity if we do it, right? We do have to do that. We do have to make an effort to be inclusive and to promote equity in the representation of people in data, but there is that possibility.
1: Well, Alex, thank you very much. Thank you. There was Alex Ribsom from the Singularity University, California talking about algorithmic bias and its impacts. And one last walk around the booths. Simon Friend from Soul Machines had a booth in the noisy halls of the Singularity University Summit Australia. Amongst the crowd, he stood in front of a big screen showing an animated woman's face. Her eyes followed me. If I spoke into the microphone, she answered with text on the screen, which is not what I hoped, for a radio show. I began by asking Simon, what is Soul Machines?
3: Soul Machines is a AI research company that specialises in autonomous animation driven by the world's only digital brain. The world's only digital brain, that's a big claim. Yeah, well, that's, as far as we know, and we've done a lot of research and our, the head of our research, one of our founders, Dr. Mark Sagar, has been working on this for 10 years. And, you know, knows the industry very well. So as far as we know, we're the only ones that are doing this to this level. And where are you based? We're based in Auckland as the main office. So we've got about 90 people there, but then we have offices spread throughout the US and Australia and Europe. Is that where the digital brain is? <laughs> the digital brain lives in the cloud. Wherever, wherever it needs to be, but yeah, no, but, it, uh, but seriously though, the digital brain runs on at the moment AWS's neural network.
1: And so you've got an animation here, can you run the listeners through how does this work? You've got an animation of a woman who appears to be looking right at me, and I'm sure if I went up to the microphone, she'd respond.
3: Yeah, that's right. So we provide essentially an interactive video feed that takes in audio and video from the user and then pushes back audio and video from from the machine. And and the idea is as you're talking and she's listening, she's taking in your video feed being analysed by the digital brain to extract your emotional data and using that to work out how she wants to animate. So the simplest way is if you smile at her, she'll smile back. But it's not she's not mirroring you, she understands that that's a normal human interaction. And our clients can then plug any sort of conversation engine in and have her say whatever they want her to say.
1: And so what are some of the uses you're putting this to? huge variety of uses. So
3: a lot of the banks are interested for the sort of customer engagement. So ANZ New Zealand have Jamie as their main help on their, on their website, so you can talk to Jamie about uh, hundreds of topics. We've got retailers that have them in kiosks in uh, physical stores. We have a, a, a digital twin of a, a massive celebrity in the US that'll come out soon. We've got digital influencers. Yumi works for SK2 and promoting skincare, so lots of things.
1: In a way, it's a chatbot with a really good interface.
3: Yes, but yeah, I hesitate because, well, I mean, that's the idea. I mean, chatbots are, not very engaging. It's sort of a digression. You know, people have done all this amazing UX work and then we put AI there and then you've got to interact with a keyboard. So we're putting a human operating system in front of AI to make it engaging and it's things like being able to see your reflection in our eyes makes it a really human engaging experience. So, if people wanted to see some of Soul Machines, where would they go? So, we have one of our own digital humans, Sam, and another one called Roman on our website, soulmachines.com, and you can register to use them. If you want to see a client application, there's a lot currently about to launch, but the best one to, that is launched is to Google ANZ New Zealand Jamie, and you can chat to Jamie anytime.
1: Fantastic. Well, Simon, thank you very much. My pleasure. That was Simon Friend from Soul Machines and their Digital Brain. That was Simon Friend from Soul Machines and their Digital Brain at the Singularity Summit Australia 2019. Next week, listen to the specially edited 2019 Ig Nobel Prize Ceremony for the awards that first make you laugh and then make you think. In January, I'll have interviews from the Australian Consumer Electronic and Business Information CBIT Show... A little later, we'll drop in on the Fresh Science Bright Spark presentations and talk with the winners of the Scopus Innovation Awards. That's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at DiffusionRadio.com Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2NVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 NBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, 2XXFM in Canberra, and my local station, 2RDJ in Burwood, New South Wales. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 Internet Radio Station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than 950 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords, so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Join my patrons at patreon.com slash... Diffusion Radio. Make a donation through paypal.me slash Ian Wolfe. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.
2: Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate.